Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running international and yet understudied scene. And welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In this episode, we have Jason down in Tassie here in Australia. Thanks for being with us, Jason. Cheers for having me. So uh, just to start off, um, can you describe for us Psychoptics music? What kind of genre of metal do you fall into? Uh, Yeah, tell us all about it. Cool. Well, I think we started out very much just as your your typical sort of uh, tech death band. And I think as our careers moved on, we've sort of, I don't know, we we still get put into the tech death genre, but I think all the band members, we sort of more consider ourselves like a more modern tech thrash or just, you know, modern thrash sort of band more than we associate ourselves with death metal these days, really. I, I've never heard the term tech thrash before. Is that like, I is that a... Think, no, it's not really a thing, but I suppose... <laughs> It's just more we we keep getting put in the 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 genre of tech death, and I mean when you sort of look at where those sort of bands are at these days, your bands like Obscura, Archspire, Origin, and stuff, we we see that we're so I don't know so far from that these days that we don't really associate ourselves as one of those sort of bands anymore. And I I think we've got more of a thrash edge really than anything else. Maybe sort of a bit of death metal drumming, but the riffing and the the vocals are definitely in my opinion more of a more down the line of thrash anyway but yeah it's all just labels anyway (laughs) it's it's all just extreme (laughs) metal so when you all first got together to like make a band was the sound like the the, you know the i guess tech thrash uh kind of what you were going for or how did you decide on what kind of style to play was it was there a genre that you all liked at the time or did you have to kind of choose from an array of different influences among the band members well i think well i i wasn't in the band i i joined about four years into their career so but I think I mean I've always sort of been hanging around the band even since the inception and and stuff and being good mates with the band and I think with all of us it was just really at the time when the band started everyone in the sort of the Tassie scene was really into the tech tech side of things you know your bands like Deeds of Flesh and Spawn of Possession Discord all that sort of stuff that was that was sort of going at that stage I think it was just it was just kind of one of those natural things. And and Joe and Dave, the, the guitarist and drummer, who they're brothers, um, I think it's just sort of the way that they're, they're writing gravitated to begin with anyway. So and then obviously the progression over, what, 24 years or something the band's been around for now, obviously it's just moved in its own direction. 
And has that like always been the kind of music that you've gravitated towards? Like when you first started listening to music that fell, falls within the kind of like broader uh, spectrum of extreme L music? Uh, I think we've we've all been quite broad on what we listen to. I mean, we, we're all right into our black metal, um, old school death metal, which back in the days when it wasn't old school death <laughs> metal, it was death metal. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But um, it's just always, I don't know, just always the, the more extreme side of things. And I think even as I get older, I'm probably, I'm probably even looking for dirtier and heavier and more extreme music sort of as I get older, which is, I guess, a bit weird. Most people, I suppose, sort of mm. take it down as they get older. Whereas I think because I, I've, I mean, for me, I spent, you know, years and years of just touring constantly. And over the last few years, it sort of hasn't been as much. I've been spending more time at home. I think I've sort of more, I suppose, re-fallen in love with the genres a bit more again now that it's sort of, I don't know, it's not my living as such at the moment. You know, I'm not not just out there playing shows and just surrounded by it all the time. So I think now that, yeah, my time at home, I'm just I'm just getting drawn to all this crazy shit that's, <laughs> that's coming out these days. Well, so, when you were first getting into the genre, um, as someone that, you know, is, is now a singer, were you in tune with, like, the lyrics at all? Or is that something you started to get an interest in once you started uh, being a singer and performing? That was that was definitely a later thing. I I always, I don't know, I always liked the lyrics with, with the music, but it was never something that I really read too much into. It was more, you know young kid listening to deicide and and stuff like that and and thinking all the the satanism and stuff was cool and <laughs> and that side of things but i didn't i didn't really get more into like you know looking at how stuff's written and you know i suppose looking for things that were a bit more not so much gore or your typical satanic sort of stuff but i don't think i really started looking into that even years into my career with psychroptic i mean i wasn't the first was it two albums I performed on. I didn't actually write the lyrics, so mm. no, it was kind of, it was kind of one of those things. I, I didn't sort of fall in love with that side of things until, yeah, I'd been in the band for I don't know maybe four or five years. Hmm. But then when when I sort of discovered, I don't know, I, I think I sort of found found my my style of sort of you know sort of discovered who I was with with writing. You know, I really fell in love with it did you find like your opinion on metal lyrics changing as you kind of like became more interested and like uh, more attentive to metal lyrical practice uh not really Mm. no i wouldn't say so what was the spark then that made you kind of go hey i want to uh i want to actually write the lyrics well i think it it sort of happened went around what album was it the inherited repression was the first one that i actually wrote for um i think like Dave had sort of, because Dave Haley, our drummer, he was writing the lyrics for the first couple of albums I was on. And he sort of, he sort of said to me when we came to starting to write the Inherited Repression, he said, just have a go at it, you know, and if, if nothing that you do, you're happy with, he said, he'll, you know, he'll take over because he was going to do writing for it anyway. And he was just kind of encouraging for me to, you know, just try and find your feet with it and see how it goes. And I think I wrote... I remember the first time it might have been Euphoranasia or something like that on that album. And I sent it off to Dave and he checked it out and he was kind of like, dude, this is like, this is really cool. You know, keep, keep going. And, you know, and I kept, kept writing. And I think I wrote, 
maybe five songs on that album. And, you know, when it came around to the next album, Dave said to me, you know, I can, I can write some for you or see how you go. And when I, yeah, when it came to writing the self-titled album, I kind of just got on a roll with it. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is me. I've, you know, it's, it's a place for me to talk to, you know, talk to my audience like properly, I guess, in a way. And, and yeah, just, I suppose, just, a, I, I think when I was writing the lyrics myself, I kind of felt, I suppose, more valid in the band, uh-huh. if that makes uh-huh. sense. Like I was, I mean, before I was just contributing a voice, I was doing all the vocal phrasings, you know, putting the lyrics to the songs, but, I think when it was my own words that I was putting to the songs and that I was singing, I think it just had a lot more meaning to me and it, it just made, I don't know, it just made, made my part in the band feel more valid to myself almost. Hmm. So since you first started writing um, lyrics for Psychroptic, like, have you noticed any changes in the approach that you've adopted? Um, you know, have you, you know, if you were to look back on your work on the first album, do you think there's like any kind of clear differences you can see in the kind of lyrics that you write now versus back then? Definitely, definitely. Mm. The stuff I was doing on, like, on the Inherited Repression, the songs I wrote on that were more from a, what would you call, like a fictional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like looking at a story or an idea of, you know, something fictional and and going with that, whereas I think when I got to the self-titled, I was starting to put more of, my views on on the world and and my opinions on things but trying to i suppose wind it up into something that was not so descript so that you know people can make their own their own opinions i suppose on or you know take their own meanings from from what my lyrics are and i think so after the self-titled when we got to as the kingdom drowns i think that's where i really sort of started taking i suppose you know looking at the world around me and yeah and really just putting my opinions on everything into it you know right and just i suppose kind of lost that whole fictional storytelling side of things hmm. if that makes sense yeah, yeah yeah for sure totally i'd say it lines up with some of the questions we're gonna ask actually so yeah <laughs> yeah well in particular, like you've um, led in nicely to this kind of ongoing debate that we're going to ask you about, because on this podcast, we often kind of talk about what the kind of role of extreme metal um, lyrics, you know, really is uh, and whether mm. or not extreme metal should be viewed as kind of an escapist fantasy and entertainment or kind of a genuine reflection of the artist's own kind of views and politics and identities. Yeah. So we wanted to know what your position on this is, especially because, you know, if you look at the lyrics like over Psychroptic's catalogue, you know, both um, those written before you joined the band and then after, um, you know, you do have diverse lyrical themes, some of which are more fictional, more fantasy, yeah. um, particularly, you know, um, during the Chalky era. Um, But then, you know, uh, your more recent lyrics have been more grounded in the real world. So do you feel like you're kind of like striking this balance between the fantastic and the real? Does this reflect your view on the role of metal lyrics more broadly? What's your take? I I think to an extent you find with, with a lot of extreme music, you do find that a lot of people's opinions will come into it even when it is, I suppose, the fictional side of things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like to me, I mean, people are like, oh, you know, lyrics got to have meaning or, you know, some people are like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. It's just got to be 
extreme, you know, the gore stuff and that. And I just think, in my opinion, it just like look at what you're better at, you know, look at what you feel comfortable with with your writing and don't force it. I mean, if if you're a great writer of like, you know, gore lyrics and and that side of the extreme, but, you know, maybe the, the political side of things or, you know, like the the real world views if it, if it's not something that really interests you or something that you're good at expressing then i say don't do it look at look at where your strengths are always and and look at where your your passions will lie i mean at the end of the day with your music i think you know and, and writing it needs to be it needs to be close to you it needs to be real it needs to be honest so i mean for me i'm i'm not in the slightest bit interested in horror movies and stuff like that so i'm not going to you know, I'm not going to try and fake it that, you know, and, and write about that sort of, those sort of topics. So I think, I think really like, yeah, you just need to look at what your strengths are and what your interests are and what, what's honest to you personally anyway. Is it possible to be honest to yourself and write like zombie stuff? Not for me. Not for you. I mean, just like in general, is, is there like... But, but, like, but like, I mean, if, if that's, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, I think it's coming from an honest place. And I think... Mm-hmm then yeah, go for it. But, you know, I, I think with like writing lyrics and writing anything in general, it's just got to be, it's got to be something that's, that interests you, you know, something that you're into rather than just, you know, putting words on a piece of paper that don't mean shit to you. Hmm. Interesting. Well, this kind of leads us into, we, we've gone over this a little bit. So um, do we just kind of like broadly talk about your band's lyrics throughout their career as a whole? Um, you have a number of what we might call like distinct lyrical eras and that your first two albums, Isle of Disenchantment and Scepter of the Ancients were written by the former vocalist. And yeah. as, as I mentioned, they're kind of fantasy epics talking about ancient battles and swords and demons. Um, and the next two albums, Symbols of Failure and Observant, which were written by uh, Dave, as you mentioned, uh, yeah. are still a bit rooted in fiction, but there's a bit more sci-fi um, and yeah. kind of focusing on humanity's ills as observed by like kind of inhuman creatures. Uh, so symbols of failure, for instance, describes immortal beings, uh, keepers who design the human form are cleansing the earth and observant. The title track seems to be about another inhuman being who can see the future, but not the past. But then we enter your era with, uh, 2012's The Inherited Repression, which you mentioned. And that talks about, you know, uh, there's some fictional stuff in there, but you have real power imbalances, yeah. uh, a person who's constantly being betrayed, exploited, and lied to by a more powerful elite or institution. The self-titled in 2015 uh, is similarly grounded in the real world, talking about like the pursuit of wealth and environmental degradation. And in 2018, as Kingdom Drowns, this seems to be a continuation of this environmental theme, but focusing on Earth being reclaimed after humans have gone. And then uh, Divine Council takes up these themes again in some ways, describing the triumph of nature, human illusions of control, and there's lyrics about a false conviction uh, that fate isn't of our own making. So you've talked about, you know, being attracted to these more uh, real world, quote unquote, themes. Uh, but what makes you like think that you personally are more attracted to those? Like, where does that attraction come from? And also, was it was it hard to switch like that? Like, was there pressure to stay um, fantasy or stay sci-fi? Nah, I mean, the rest of the guys in the band have always just said to me, just do what, do what you do, you know, and we've never put limitations on ourselves or each other in the band. So, I mean... I think, I don't know, I guess, 
I don't know really why I sort of got drawn more to doing the real life stuff. I guess hardships within my own life, hardships that you see with people around you. And I guess, I don't know, for me, it's just the the way things are at the moment. It's just an endless, uh, what would you say? So I suppose there's an endless inspiration. Well, not that it's a lot of what I write about is inspiring because a lot of it's quite negative shit. But um, I guess there's just just looking at what's going on around the, the world and and the way people are living these days and just, yeah, just putting my my thoughts on it. I suppose getting, a lot of it is just getting shit out of my head. <laughs> So there's no pressure, like when even not from the band, but just from yourself. That like when you started writing your own lyrics, thinking, "Oh man, our last two albums have been kind of sci-fi. If I don't do some sci-fi stuff, like some fans gonna be like, hey, why are you guys a sci-fi band anymore?' Like that that wasn't a concern. No, no, and we've always been a band that we've we have. I mean, musically as well, not just lyrically. Uh, we're stylistic. We uh, stylistically we have changed a lot over the years, and I think we've always had the attitude that with each album that we write, it's always different to the last in a lot of elements. And we, we always do have that thing that if people like what we do and they, you know, like old fans stick with us, that's great. If we lose some fans for an album or a couple of albums or whatever, we're cool with that as well, because we need to, we need to do something like essentially the albums we write there for us, first and foremost and it's great that a lot of people come along for the ride and enjoy it but yeah when there's never a concern of what's going to be you know what reviews are going to say about lyrics or the music or the way things are done or whatever so no I mean I suppose to answer your question not really it's we just do what we do and we don't care the outcome so much hmm well, how about the lyrical style then? Uh, like, you know, after you took over the lyric writing duties from Dave, um, did you feel any pressure to like emulate his style of writing, if not the actual kind of topics or themes that uh, he or, you know, Chalky before him addressed? Um, no. Or conversely, did you feel the opposite pressure to, you know, bring something totally I, different to the band? Yeah, I think I think more than anything, I really wanted to, to bring myself to the table more than anything. Mm. And, and, I, and that, that comes through I guess with the actual like my vocal like singing style as well I mean to start with on when I did uh performed on Symbols of Failure it was very much that whole it's got to be fast it's got to be extreme because that's what Chalky did before and and all the rest and it was kind of we I suppose that album was transitioning it's like keep it sort of familiar to what the fans are but then by the time Observant came around, Dave was like, you just do you with that. And then when I started writing lyrics, it was like, do you, you know, don't don't try and emulate what's happened before. Like, just do what's natural to you, do what's comfortable to you. And, you know, you're fronting this band, so bring you to the table, I guess, more than anything. So, yeah, I did, I did feel like I had to, I suppose, stand out and do my own thing from, from I mean, obviously I've been two lyricists, before me in the band it was I suppose there was a little bit of pressure on that to to bring something different to the table I guess rather than just emulating what people had done before me 
when you were writing lyrics for the first time, did you read over the uh, the prior albums to kind of see what had been done? And I mean, I don't I know you sung it, but like because you're familiar with them there. But did you like review? Yeah, it is it is different actually when you I mean singing someone else's lyrics a, a lot of the time, and I mean just seeing in general, you're not really taking in what you're saying a lot of the time. Maybe some of the choruses you might sort of catch a bit of a feel from it, but generally yeah, you don't. But I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think I really did read over any of the stuff. I was sort of reading over what Dave had sent me because he sent me a few sets of lyrics for the Inherited Repression album as well, like right in the beginning. So I was kind of looking at what he was doing, and I guess and thinking, you know, shit, I got to make sure mine's good because Dave's writing was really great on that. The songs he contributed on that album as well. So it was, I suppose I it maybe put a bit of pressure on me to keep up with with him on it as well just with quality sort of standards. What do you think makes for like low quality metal lyrics broadly? Not much thought. <laughs> I mean, how, how can you tell when there's not much thought though, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's, I suppose that's, that's, that's a good question. I mean, for me, I know I, I spend hours on stuff, but sometimes I get better results when it's spontaneous and it's just the first thing that comes to mind. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's probably it. <laughs> That's just gonna be a difficult one for me, actually. I, I mean, have you ever? Go ahead. Go ahead. It's. I suppose, like for me, I suppose in in my opinion, poorly written lyrics are something that doesn't doesn't grab me when I read it. Doesn't make me want to, you know, when you when you start reading through, you know, lyrics and stuff. If if you get like one verse in and you you haven't got your attention peaked on it or whatever or something of interest or it seem, feels directionless maybe, I suppose that would be poorly written if you, if you don't want to, don't feel like you want to read right till the end. I suppose the same like a novel as well. Mm. But whether that's poor writing or that's just something that doesn't interest you, I suppose that's another question there as well. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, is it like to do, is it the topics that tend to turn you off or is it the actual like style of language that's used to, you know, explore those, those themes that, you know, know, makes or breaks it? So I think like uh, an album to me, and um, it's a very different style of writing to me, but it's, it's something I always loved was um, on some of the later Marduk albums where they've got a real sort of, World War Two, World War One theme going throughout their stuff, but then they bring in this, like very cleverly bring in like these sort of satanic elements to it, and it it doesn't feel forced; it just flows smoothly. It's kind of hard to describe, but I remember when I first read through the lyrics on the um, the French Wine album, that was sort of one that really sort of grabbed me, and I was like, fuck. You know, these these guys have really put everything into it. Is there an inverse case where you liked an album and then you read the lyrics and you're like, oh, I don't like that album so much anymore? I can't think of, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but me and uh, Todd, our bass player, actually, we spoke about this when I sent through all the lyrics for As the Kingdom Crowns, and he was reading through them all and I said, you know, so... What do you think? And he said, they're awesome. And he, he said, they're lyrics that when I read them, it makes me like what you like the album more. He said, because he said, I get so disappointed when I really love an album and then I read the lyrics and 
I can't stand the lyrics. He said, it, you know, it makes it just detracts from the album for me. So it does happen. I can't think of an instance off the top of like a particular album where that's happened, but it definitely has happened before. Where I don't know, sometimes when you listen to music, you can you can form something in your head what you think they're saying, especially with extreme metal, obviously, because it's it's not the clearest vocal style. And you can form a picture in your head or, you know, you, you can think in your head what they're actually saying, but sometimes when you actually do read it, it's a bit like, oh, shit, it's not what I thought and it's nowhere near as cool as what I thought it was either. Hmm. Um, well, talking more about your kind of lyrical style, um, in addition to kind of the thematic changes that we uh, talked about earlier, we did notice that your, your lyrical style is really quite distinct from that of Chalky and Dave, um, because Chalky's lyrics often read kind of more like prose than traditional lyrics. Um, yeah. Like if we take the title track off um, The Isle of Disenchantment, as an example, you have lyrics like um, darkened waters lying before me, many secrets that we can't see. A strange fairy guided by a corpse takes me to an island where I must survive. Uh, I cannot see for the mist is too thick. The ferryman's face rotting make, makes me sick and kind of so on, uh, yeah. which, you know, although rhyming kind of read like they are kind of lifted from a novel almost. Um, yeah. And then Dave's, Dave's lyrics also appear quite narrative-driven. Um, so, for instance, like lyrics from the song An Experiment in Transience reads, strapped to the mechanism, I prepare, essential wires attach, restraints hold me into position. I'm ready. The flick of a switch steals uh, the commencement. A controlled electric current is administered. Uh, a short-lived pain I must pass through is mere token price. Clinically dead, yet I feel so alive. Um, your appear lyrics really kind of depart from this trend as they don't tend to tell kind of narrative stories. Uh, instead, yeah. your lyrics do kind of, as you suggested, kind of um, read more like kind of commentary on the current state of the world. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of less prosaic. So if we take like, you know, um, uh, you know, the first song, Render Sunder, off your uh, latest release, uh, you have lyrics like, our world is torn, locked in our prisons, uncertainty of this new life, no end in sight, involuntarily created by us, servitude and ignorance we spoke of, yet actions were silent, a life beyond our means, sustainable future, just a dream, we forfeited our right to survive. So were you aware of this specific kind of difference in your lyric writing approach? Um, yeah. And you, you know, did you try to avoid kind of uh, including uh, any kind of prosaic or kind of narrative um, structures in your style? Yeah, I definitely did. I, like I was saying earlier, I, I like people to be able to read my lyrics and interpret different meanings or, you know, take, take the meaning that's, I suppose, like from how they interpret it essentially, which it's, it's, and that's been an interesting thing because over the years on tour and stuff, when we've been out on the road, I've had a lot of people say to me, oh, hey, this song, what's what do you mean by this and and you know you can have a discussion it's like you're like miles from what my idea was originally but you know when they're describing their take on the song it's like it makes perfect sense from the words i've used and so it's all it's always interesting from that point of view and i suppose even as a as a, a lyricist when you're how do i describe it when you I suppose putting your views on the world, it can be, it can be, conf well, confronting is not probably the right word. It can be, I don't know, you can feel very, can't even think of the word, like you're putting a lot of yourself out there into the world, like a lot of who you are. And sometimes it's kind of, you feel like you don't want to, 
be too straightforward with things, if that makes sense. So I suppose you can, Why not? You, can, you can feel vulnerable, very vulnerable, putting, you, putting in like lyrics that are close to your ideas out there. So sometimes it, I suppose it's just a bit more comf- uh, comfortable to, to wrap them up and, and make people think about them. Even though they're all like screamed and stuff, that is, does that create like a little yeah. barrier of, of, of I think comfort? so, yeah. Yeah, probably more than I reckon so. Because, I mean, we, we always put our lyrics in the booklets. And, mm-hmm. and so, and the thing is, you know, a lot of people don't read them. A lot of people just listen to the music and they don't know what the fuck I'm saying. But there is, there is those people that, <laughs> that do read it and try to interpret it. Well, another thing that, that we kind of noticed as, as a change is that when you took over, there was a bit more uh, chorus repetition. Like in the song, This Shattered World, you have the repetition of lines, the fires from the deep, they yearn for me, longing for this moment for centuries. Now this gift may seem like a curse. And the prophet's counsel repeats lines, fires burn stronger on approach as if the sun itself had come to us. Our treachery is soon to be forgotten. History shall be erased for all. Did you kind of aim to add choruses to the band um, or in whether or that not... Was- Oh, sorry. That was that was something I think that me and Joe sort of really started bringing in on the self-titled album. Mm-hmm. I think um, when we did uh, the self-titled album, I think "Echoes to Come" was the that was the the first single of the was the first single off the album, but it was also the first song we wrote for the album. And when I first got sent the um, the music for it, to me it was like screaming like there was a really there, there was a, a section of it which seemed like it should be built into an epic chorus which we ended up doing and when we we sort of built that up and we put you know sort of clean operatic vocals and and all sorts of stuff on it I think with that me and Joe were kind of like right maybe we could really do something with this and we were at the the point I suppose, musically in our career where we were wanting to strip things back and focus more on actual songwriting rather than the tech, you know, element of things. Mm-hmm. And I think with that we wanted, we wanted to bring more hooks into it and more memorable moments and, and bigger songs and we were really considering the live thing more as well. And, and it was, yeah, so it was a conscious decision, I suppose, once once we saw that, it was something that we could do successfully and we, we really liked adding that element in. It ended up being, yeah, basically a big staple of our thing to, to add the more epic choruses. And, I just, guess, I, and oh. just also making it so that, um, you know, if, if you've got a catchy lyric, if, you know, if you repeat it and bring it back on sections, it gets stuck in people's head. And I, I guess as a musician you want people to, walk away singing your songs or humming your songs and getting them stuck in their head. It's, it's a big part of what you do. And I suppose adding repetition into things is a big part of, I suppose, drilling it into people. <clears throat> is it nerve? Do you feel any nerves at all now? Like when you have to write a chorus, because you know, it has to be catchy. It has to be memorable. It has to stick with people. Yeah. I, I often do with, with a lot of the songs, I often do actually start with the chorus. Okay. So I, I've had quite quite a few of the songs. It'll be when you know when I've had all the music sent through to me. It'll be you know you sort of get yourself into a mindset of you know your brain's always ticking on lyrics and words. And I'm 
listening over and over and over to the music, you know, driving around in my car, running, whatever. And it's almost like little phrases will come to you and and a lot of the time I'll build on them first and then it's like, it's okay, where am I going to go with this? And you almost write the song around that chorus. So the chorus has sometimes had like the most time spent on it in a way because you started with it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, in terms of your language use, your lyrics occasionally feature some obscure vocabulary like um, exodus, referring to death resulting from disease, uh, and euphoria in Asia, which seems to be, if I'm not mistaken, a blend of your own making, combining euphoria and euthanasia. Um, But generally speaking, you know, those examples aside, there seems to be a preference for not necessarily simple but familiar language. Um, So, for example, the opening lyrics to Rend Asunder, our world is torn, locked in our prisons, uncertainty of this new life, no end in sight, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, And that seems to include words that, you know, most English users would recognise, if not understand. Um, So were you kind of aware of this trend? Did you actively kind of trend towards more um, familiar rather than obscure vocabulary? Uh, I try to keep things simple. I do write with a thesaurus all the time, though. Mm, and you do. That's okay. More than anything, that's for uh, because obviously you're. I mean, writing lyrics isn't essentially just writing poetry as such. You know, it's got to fit to the to the music. So, a lot of the time, I'll have. You know, I might write a verse, but then it's like, you know, shit, there's not enough syllables in a certain word that I'm using. So then you can sort of hit the thesaurus and like, okay, this this word slightly got that extra syllable that I need. You know, so I, I use it a lot of the time from that point of view. So a lot of the, I suppose, the more obscure words, they can often come from they just had the right amount of syllables in it that I needed to reach for for a rhythmic point of view we've had people on this podcast um be you know both in, in praise of the thesaurus and also against it you said you use it quite frequently yeah, um definitely. like i guess have you do you do you understand the thesaurus hate or have you heard it from anywhere before are you like uh, no, one's, no? no one's said to me about it i could see i could see that there would be that would be purists out there going nope nope definitely can't use the thesaurus but i reckon I don't know, use use all the tools you can to uh, get the job done. It's like a, a guitarist, if they, you know, if they know all the scales on a guitar, it's gonna it's gonna just give them another tool in their toolbox, isn't it? So I see the thesaurus is just the same sort of thing for a lyricist, really. Like can you use a thesaurus too much? Like have you have you ever seen lyrics where like this person needs to like stop using the thesaurus? It like- gets to the point. I guess it gets to the point if they <laughs> If they don't know what what they're actually saying, okay, <laughs> because their, their words are too full on. But I mean, I don't know. It, I suppose it just depends what you're going for. For me, I I don't want people to read my lyrics and go, "What the fuck is that word there? I've never heard of that." You know, and then they have to look, like look it up and stuff. And if your lyrics are full of that, it's it's not going to have that catchy factor any either. People like simple, you know. I mean, I guess what does doesn't using a thesaurus go against that perspective though in a way? Because like you don't use a thesaurus to find like simple words, right? No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think like yeah, like for me it's it's mainly from like yeah, extending words or shortening words to mm. for that that point of view, regardless. 
like within like the, the the measure that you have kind of yeah 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 i mean when you when you're trying to when you're trying to write write to an actual song and you might come up with a really cool line that's sort of got a cool meaning but then when you actually you try it out to the actual music you're like oh shit it doesn't fit or, or whatever so, so that's yeah that's where it comes in for me or every now and again sometimes i will you know I suppose if you if you do get a bit stuck on a line and you're like fuck I can't think of I can't think of a next line or you get that writer's block or whatever sometimes you can just go looking for thesauruses dictionaries find a cool word what's that mean and you can end up going like sometimes you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole and and you can draw some ideas from them as well but I'm I'm not a I'm not one of those people that that will just use big words non-stop for the sake of it if that makes sense you do get a lot of people i suppose they they like using the big words i don't know if it's that they like to sound intellectual with things or what but yeah i mean that's that's not my thing really oh shit um, well, actually, you mentioned syllables earlier, and this kind of relates to another question that we wanted to ask, because, um, you know, whilst your style of language is familiar, it's certainly not monosyllabic. Uh, in fact, your lyrics include quite a lot of multisyllabic words, uh, particularly those ending with shun or, you know, so T-I-O-N or S-I-O-N, yeah. um, as always from, uh, you know, inherited repression, you know, that's another one, uh, yeah. feature like uh, 41 shun forms. Uh, oh, really? Self-titled has 22. Um, as the kingdom drowns has 12 and divine council has 27. Uh, so yeah, is that surprising? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I probably, it's, it's probably from a more from a rhythmic point of view, I guess mm. a lot of that stuff, it might be that I'm subconsciously, it might be a, a syllable style that is easy for me to get out when I'm doing, I mean, when you're going full noise at the top of your lungs, sometimes it can <laughs> you will gravitate to word to words or or certain syllables and stuff. I guess that that are easier for the delivery, maybe as well. Is, this is a weird question, but like, I, if my memory is correct, our first episode with Harlot. Yeah. Um. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, my memory is right. Yeah, you're right. Wow. All right. I know exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Hudson of Harlot. Uh is a a thrash right and and you described yourself at the beginning of this interview as uh thrash and he likes the shun words as well is there like um (laughs) is is this a thrash style yeah is this like a thrash dialect it it might just be one of those things that just with with our delivery of how we sing this style i guess it might just be something that's easy to to get out rhythmically I think anyway, that's that's probably more what it is for me because when I am writing, I I don't write the lyrics and then try to fit them to the song. I'm more, uh, I've got the song in front of me. I'm listening to the section of the song that I'm trying to write for. I get the words for it. I trial it. If some words are too hard to get to, things will get changed. So I'm doing the whole thing at one time so it, it is writing the lyrics and making sure it's possible to sing it and that it actually sounds cool as well and hence like i say with the, the thesaurus to get the extra 
extra syllables or cut syllables down and stuff like that. And so it might just be one of those things that I, I do subconsciously that, yeah, they're, they're just easy words for me to get out and make sound cool. So I, maybe I tend to gravitate towards them. Okay. Well, you mentioned like you wanted to have language that's uh, pretty, you know, easy to read. And a lot of language is definitely familiar, uh, but a lot of it still would kind of seem out of place in like an everyday communication context. For instance, yeah. uh, in Renda Sundry of the line, servitude and ignorance we spoke of, which would, you'd say like we spoke about servitude and ignorance, right? Why not? Do you think, do you think there's a reason that you tend to write in a way that's distinct from conversational English? Like it's, instead of saying we talked about slavery and ignorance using servitude and ignorance we spoke of, uh, is there like an intent there to make your lyrics feel not like conversation? Yeah, I I mean, I, I know I, I, I do also, you've probably noticed this. I, I often put a lot of questions in, <laughs> in my lyrics, I think as well. And, but I think, yeah, I suppose it's more that trying to keep it not sound like it's me talking to you type thing. It's like some greater being over ruling everything, I suppose, is how I, I don't know, I kind of envision it a lot of the time. Okay. Interesting. So with that in mind, like, I mean, how does that work with like other examples? Like, so there's one example that we did see um, that's, you know, I suppose very far removed from um, everyday language, which is the use of um, the old English the, um, that only appeared once in one lyric that I found. Uh, so winds of time, I command the once forsaken in the shadow world conquered by my own self. Um, so as no doubt you already know, um, you know, metal has this very well-recognized penchant for um, archaic yeah. expression, um, including yeah. the, the D and thou forms. Um, so we were wondering what made you include the D. Does it connect with what you're just talking about regarding this kind of like omniscient kind of yeah. being or, yeah. Those, those lyrics were, I actually, I do remember when I wrote those, I was trying to do something different to how I normally would. And I, I was, I suppose trying to look at more of a black metal approach. Mm. I remember, I remember with with that song, I was looking through which album was it? It was an Emperor Anthems to the Welkins at Dusk. I I remember I was reading through that. It was either the day before, or I don't know. It was it was sort of around the time that I wrote that song, and I think they were using a lot of thou and and those sort of words, and I think that was probably the inspiration that sort of led me to use that sort of language. But I, I do remember it was definitely me trying to take more of that sort of old black metal-y sort of approach to it. Okay. Well, one kind of, uh, I guess, literary-ish feature that's missing from your lyrics is uh, rhyme. You only rhyme a very, very small amount. So, for mm. instance, on the inherited repression, you have uh, lines like purged of the very essence. It was you who turned them caustic, infecting them, confusing them with this horrid sentence. So essence and sentence uh, self-titled as rhyming lines like see what, say what they want, never come out striking to whatever. And the kingdom drowns features cast out now, no turning back on this day, all turns to black. And divine council uh, has a rhyme as well, as in uh, as the vine slips away, can't stop it now, this earthly decay. But these are kind of rare examples and few and far between. Yeah. Like we, we've cherry picked them. Um, yeah. So why do you use rhyme so sparingly? Like, like you don't throw it out completely, but you do use it a very, very low amount. Is that because you don't like it very much, or do you think it has like more impact in tiny bits? I, 
I think it stands out more when it's it's used sparingly. I think it just has more impact. I think if you, I got nothing against like bands that do a lot of rhyming stuff, but I think it loses the impact. It's like when you do like a really fast blast beat on the drums or something. If you're doing it the whole way, it kind of loses its loses its impact and you know the the wow factor or whatever. But if you use it sparingly, it just comes in here and there. It's like fuck, you know, and it, it really grabs you. And I, I suppose it's from that point of view, you know, you get you got something cool if you if you overuse it, it loses the impact. Is there when you write a line uh, a rhyme? Excuse me. Uh, is there pressure to make it really good then? Yeah, I think a lot of the <laughs> time, <laughs> I think so. But and a lot of the time it, it is, I suppose, me doing like my the the actual flow or the idea i've got from from the rhythmic perspective as well depending on what's happening with guitars and and that side of things as well so it all, it all sort of comes down to that back to that whole thing of me writing at the same time as i'm um you know actually figuring or you know fitting it to the song so sometimes it might be I don't know, it might be running through and then the last line it might be like, all right, it would feel it feels right to put put a rhyming word here rather than anything. So I suppose, I suppose it's, it's just how I feel at the time when I'm actually doing the rhythmic side of things as well. Right. Whether I think it needs it or whether I think it would enhance the song. I suppose is probably the better way to put it. Makes sense, yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. I mean, we also wanted to ask you about your use of perspective because we did notice some shifts across your albums. Um, so firstly, yeah. on the inherited repression, um, there seems to be a preference for the second person perspective with just, you know, 10 uses of I, 16 uses of we, and then 20 of you. Uh, and this trend continues yep. on self-titled with only one use uh, of I, uh, 18 of we, and then a massive 50 of you. Um, mm. But then it switches. So your last uh, two albums um, shift away from you and towards we uh, with uh, 14 uh, and six uses of you, uh, but uh, 18 and 45 instances of we. Uh, so were you aware yeah. of this shift? Um, did you have any ideas as to why it has occurred? No, but I know that, that the perspective <laughs> is always something I struggle with. Um, I often find when I'm writing lyrics, I'll be doing it from the me perspective, and then by mm-hmm. the end of it, I look. I'm, I've actually got it from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back at me, it's just like shit. I don't know how that happened, and then often it. It means I have to go back and, and rewrite because it, it gets to the point. Because you, know, you can get, when I'm writing, I can get sort of tied up in things. And and before you know it, you do get sometimes where your whole idea has shifted from the start of the song to the end and you might be on a totally different topic and and then you've got to bin things and start, <laughs> start again or start backtracking. And so I know that the perspective thing is one thing that I've always I've always found challenging with that like just as i write how can yeah it it very commonly does happen that it switches perspective and i guess i probably at that point i look at which perspective is the cooler one for the song when i go to the corrections so if you switch perspective that is is the you in a song sometimes you like Like, me yeah are you singing Mm. to yourself as the second person yeah i guess 
(laughs) (laughs) It's a a weird, it's a weird one. And that's, that is really something that's always, it's always tripped me up. And, and I always have to really consciously, like once, once I've finished a song that I'm happy with, I do have to go back and a few days later and look at those types of things and think, am I actually making sense in, you know, some whatever sort of form? So yeah, and and that's that's always the thing that I've always struggled with, like keeping on track with. Hmm. Why why do you think you struggle with that? Do you know? I have no idea. No idea. Maybe I'm just a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, let's talk about some specific instances of you then, maybe, because uh, Jess was thinking that uh, the uses on on inherited repression in the self-title album for you seem to be kind of provocative in lyrics like your life turned to rubble face the fact that it won't get better your fault your choices how long can you keep it up now the illusions seem to eventually which seem to be like almost attacking or accusing the listener of not owning up to uh, responsibility for their own actions or choices when you use yeah. you like this is there someone you have in mind are they directed at a particular group or person is it is it yourself or are you like yelling at the listener no that, no, that one was very much um that that was quite directional <laughs> it's quite an aggressive song actually <laughs> uh looking back on it but um yeah that was that was definitely me pointing the finger at someone else <laughs> But just looking at, I mean, people, people not owning up to their shit, basically, not uh, not taking responsibility for their own actions, and then crying when nothing goes their way, basically. So that was, yeah, that was definitely that's definitely a pointing the finger at someone else type song. What happens like live when you're singing a song that's pointing the finger at somebody, and you're like staring right into the audience? Does it ever feel a bit awkward? Nah, you nah. just got to put on a scary face while you do it. <laughs> that's that's always one that I always, and, and I often think about that. A couple of people have said it to me as well, like the, the your fault, your choices line. It's one that I always point at someone in the crowd. <laughs> I've had people like, what did I do? <laughs> but yeah. I think even on the film clip for that song, I'm 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 pointing at a crowd member. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone kind of like come to you and tried to like guess like who the you is, like whether it's a generic you or a specific you? Ah, uh, it's a generic thing. It's not. It's not okay. like directed at someone that's like done me wrong or anything like that. <laughs> I'm not quite that malicious that I'll uh, that I'll air my dirty dirty laundry to the world. <laughs> Well, um, what well, yeah. Oh, go sorry, go, no, go ahead, Jess. I was going to say, like, um, when you're writing about we, then, like, are you thinking about a particular group of people, or is that also like a generic kind of, uh, or yeah. I suppose, like humanity? Yeah, yeah. It's usually yeah that that generic big we, everyone around my people. <laughs> so, I suppose well, more. Do, yeah. yeah, I mean, do you feel included in that we, or is it like are you separate from that? Yeah. No, I'm I'm always part of it. It's always my crew. <laughs> 
And is that like, I mean, do you feel differently about it? Just because like you mentioned earlier, right, that like, you know, when you're um, like singing lyrics that you wrote versus like lyrics that like others have written before you, that you, you know, have yeah. a slightly different kind of like understanding and connection to them. How does that relate to the perspective then? Like when you sing about like I um, or we, um, you know, that you've written yourself, does that feel different than if you're singing from the I or we perspective in lyrics that you haven't wrote? Not really. Not really. I mean, a lot of the time when you're you're on stage and you you're actually performing this stuff, you you're almost just on autopilot. You're just performing it, and you you're caught up in the moment, and you're not so much thinking about the words that are coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like you, the, there is that whole thing of pointing at someone when you say the word "you" or whatever, like that. But that's I don't know. That's just almost like a what would you say? Like a I don't know, like a character, you're in character type thing, almost. Hmm. Interesting. What, what do you mean by like in character? Because you said you wrote from kind of a, a more personal perspective, right? Is is the, is oh, the mean, stage? In, in character is in, you know, when I'm on stage, I'm not the same casual person I am. Like sitting here talking to you guys is, is sort of what I mean. Like you're on stage and, and, you know, I suppose as the vocalist, you kind of got to, you've almost got to make you well, you not almost you have to make yourself the biggest person in the room so that's what i mean by character you do okay you're you're up there with the mic yelling at the crowd full of vibrato and you know all the all the rest of it which is the total opposite of what i am in dated life so that's what i mean when i say on stage you know in character i mean character up there right it's me oozing confidence which i <laughs> just day to day life. Well, before we move on from pronouns, um, we did want to ask as well, like, what's the effect of using the we perspective when you're talking about issues like environmental degradation or humans failing to reckon with our role in all of that? I suppose it's putting the blame on everybody, not just myself. Mm. That'd be the simplest way, I suppose. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Straightforward, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, some, some answers are short. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. A, a lot of my with my writing, I mean, uh, a lot of it just starts from a simple idea. Mm-hmm. And just, I suppose, wording just makes things sound more elaborate. Maybe. Well, speaking of kind of elaborate uh, things, uh, one thing we notice in your written lyrics is um, a lot of punctuation: uh, ellipses, colons, dashes, or hyphens. Although this has kind of dropped off, uh, but for instance, on inherited repression, there are six instances of ellipses, uh, five dashes and two colons. Uh, then after that, we see only hyphens or dashes, uh, and there's just two hyphens in the self-titled release. Um, but as the kingdom drowns has seven M dashes, and your latest record has five M dashes, as in the lines, wind screams my name, consumed by powers, dash, beyond comprehension, my sentence revoked, dash, deeds of a past life. Um, obviously, you know, you don't sing dashes, you don't sing ellipses, you don't sing punctuation, uh, but they're all included in your lyrics, right? So why have you added these written only forms into the, uh, lyrics, I suppose? I suppose my way of interpreting the way I'm delivering the, when, so when I first started working with Psychroptic, this was back in the days where you couldn't simply just record your ideas over the music so i'd have a 
you know, I'd have I'd, the lyrics would be getting written and stuff, but to do the phrasing to prepare for the studio, I ended up with a lot of different um, symbols and stuff of, you know, like I'd have dots under words to to symbol uh, to signify how it was actually sung. So I almost had my own uh, little set of symbols to actually, you know, when you, I suppose when you actually write written sheet music out, you know, there's all the symbols and the notes and everything on it. I almost, I well, not almost, I developed my own way of putting a lyric sheet into the vocal phrasings and how it was actually sung, mm-hmm. which I'm going to have to dig out some of the old lyric sheets. Uh, sheets from when I was in the studio on the early albums because it would be funny to see the way I used to do it. But I think it's just a continuation of that. That's almost me putting the punctuation in as to how I feel I'm saying it when I'm actually singing as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose it's it's following the delivery of, of the way I'm singing, if that makes so, sense. Is So like you're attempting to, to bring the written closer to the audible yeah i suppose yeah oh huh. i mean like things like m dashes etc are often associated with poetry i mean M- emily dickinson being the the key one mm. is there there's is there any like subtle desire to make the written lyrics look more poetic or is, or is it all just like this is how i scream it i think it's it is more just it's more about the way i deliver it and so that's the way i write it down hmm. And then no, no one ever tells me I'm wrong when it goes to proof. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever like think about how your listeners like will read the lyrics? I mean, do you have any desire for listeners to actually read through the lyrics that you've written, like, and kind of consume them as like uh, a text that's like, if not independent to, then like kind of a companion to the audio recording or live performance? Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why uh, when when I do lyric writing, I've always tried to make it so like we were talking about earlier, it does enhance the music so that the read, you know, the, the listener's not going to read it and go, oh, my God, what is this directionless garbage he's singing? You know, so I do, the amount of time that I do put into it, the time and effort that go into the lyrics, I do I do want listeners to read them. I do want them to enjoy them and, and to be an enhancing part of the music. I mean, whether or not they do, I mean, a lot of these days, especially when, yeah, where you got Spotify and and all the streaming platforms and stuff. I know that it's not like what it used to be back in the nineties or the early two thousands, where you'd get the CD or the cassette or whatever, and you would put the album on. You'd open the lyric sheet, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and it was that old. I mean, I guess I'm from that old school. If that's how you used to consume your music or at least the first time that you would you would listen to an album it'd be from start to finish you'd be reading the lyrics with it and I guess I'd still like for people to do it that way I know that you know probably 80% of people maybe don't but for those few that do I do want it to to be worthwhile you know I want it to be a rewarding experience for them to to read the lyrics while they listen to the album and go you know fuck he's is written some good lyrics or whatever. So yeah, long story short, I would, yeah, I do like that. It would, the idea that it would be a companion to it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of the, of streaming things as well, but I I do kind of miss that. There was a certain joy of like 
whipping out nostalgic. A, yeah, yeah, whipping out the lyric <laughs> oh, yeah. book. And when it was really like when it was really well done. I mean, there were a lot that were just like like here's some pictures of us in the dark with the lyrics on top. But like yeah. every once in a while, a band would really make it. Uh, like the one that sticks out in my mind is um, Slipknot's Iowa was like printed on butcher paper. Okay. And that like ruled. Yeah, that was like I don't think that's. A, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't see CD stores and stuff that much anymore. But <laughs> no. it, it was nice having like like oh the entire you know thing is like a, a unit. The 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 music and the and the insert yeah. and the entire like the the art and, form is is three dimensional and audible. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing I always say as well. Like you, you've got the cover art. You know, you can really like have a good look at it and read the lyrics along with the album and even down to the thanks list and, you know, the whole package. Yeah. I'm very much from those days where like, you know, consuming an album was, I mean, it was, a, it was like the highlight of your week when one of your favorite bands put something out and you, you'd put the time into going, you know, buy it from a store and then come home, put it on, read the lyrics, all that stuff. It was like, I know it was a big ritual that came with it, and you, I think you attached a lot more value to it than what you do with streaming. And myself, I I stream most of my music music now as well, uh, no doubt. But yeah, the nostalgia thing mm. <laughs> it still gets me as well, for sure. Hmm. Well, to go back to your lyrics though, um, there there's one other theme that we kind of noticed uh, that is that there's a a theme of fire and flame that kind of runs throughout the lyrics you've written. So. Yep. In 2012's uh, The Inherited Repression um, mentions, and I, I don't know, you know, uh, this was co-written, you said, so, yeah. but still there's uh, Flame in Hand, Flames Alluring, and Writing and Teachings Turn to Ashes. 2015 Psychroptic references Smoke, Fire Cleanses the Earth, The Glaciers Melted, The Heat all Turned All to Dust, Setting the Skies Ablaze, Dying in Fire, Fire Engulfs the Night, and even the song Cold uh, ironically talks about Fire of Time Burning Faster. Then in yeah. 2018, you have uh, with As the Kingdom Drowns opens with Rising from the Flames, As Our World Burns, and mentions the flickering candle of life. And then in 2022 with the Divine Council, you have Fires of the Deep, Fires Have Been Burning Too Long, Ashes of Our Empire, Fires Burn Stronger on Approach, and the request, Don't Put the Fire in My Hands. So while you have songs like Cold and Frozen Gaze, uh, obviously the Kingdom Drowns, that's water, but there's there seems to be a pretty clear preference for fire as a metaphor throughout your lyrics. Mm. Do you know why this might be? I'm just mad satanic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. To be honest, when you started reeling that off, I was like, when you first started, I thought, shit, I, I could, yeah, could totally remember, you know, coming across thing. I didn't realize I did it that much. <laughs> but yeah, when you started reeling them off, I realized obviously I do. <laughs> I don't know why that is actually. Maybe it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's an easy one to go to maybe for extreme music. Well, like, like you got, you know, I mean, broad stereotypes, right? Like, like black metal has the freezing cold winters, right? There's, there are other yeah. options, you know, you got the, uh, like, I don't know, there could be the dirt of the earth, right? The grave. <laughs> like, why yeah. do you think, why do you think fire is, is your element? I mean, you could even do like the, the dragon force sky and, and clouds and stuff, right? There's, uh, we talked to, <laughs> we talked to earth rot. earth rot does like ocean stuff. Like why, why do you think fire is your element? I don't know. I don't know, to be honest. Must just, I don't know. It's, I've probably got flames and all sorts of shit on my T-shirts. That I wear. <laughs> I it, it's funny, actually, within, within a lot of my artwork as well, because I do a lot of digital art and uh, like digital painting and stuff, 
I have so many of them. I have elements of fire in in my artwork as well. So I don't know what it is. Obviously, very recurring theme there. Yeah, <laughs> I might be an arsonist. I just don't realize it. Sorry, is it? <laughs> or like your uh, is is your art helping you avoid? Uh, yeah, it's crime. Probably, yeah, yes. <laughs> The need to burn churches down like in the old days. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this discussion of fire does lead to another theme that we noticed uh, in your writing, which uh, seems to be increasing. So that is the reference to the death of the planet and humans as failed stewards. Uh, so obviously let us know if we're kind of misreading these songs. Uh, but in 2015, yeah. you mentioned uh, smoke rising from beneath the core, empowered by the wealth it rapes the land. Uh, what the future brings, none of us could know. Uh, it's as if we deny the truth we know. Uh, on Echoes to Come, which we take as kind of warnings about the excess uh, wealth damaging the earth. Um, yeah, then on, on 2018, uh, we were the, uh, the Keepers, by its name kind of appears to be a clear um, remand of humans' failures to protect the environment with lines like, um, one day it all comes back again, the soil reclaims what was taken, uh, nothing ever belonged to us uh, for we were just the Keepers. Uh, and in 2022, um, you have lines like sustainable future, just a dream. We forfeited our right to survive or uh, discover and destroy. This has always been our way in empty fields. We walk watching as we fade. Uh, we are the cause uh, the great cancer of this world. Um, so if we're interpreting your intent correctly, um, yep. why do you think that you return to this topic of uh, environment so regularly and specifically this, this kind of environmental degradation or death? Because I just think it's an important topic. <laughs> More than anything, it's, I mean, the, I, I mean, I, I'm, a lot of the time it comes from something I've seen or heard about, you know, recently, you know, what, at, around the time of writing and stuff. And I mean, I think now, I, th I think when I was younger, you never would have got these sort of lyrics out of me. I, I think it was, it would be something that was, yeah, whatever, it's down the track. It doesn't appeal to me. Now I have two children. Things of environmental issues and and all that side of things actually are more important to me, I suppose, because I don't think it probably won't be in my lifetime that there will be massive changes, but my children's lifetime, they'll be the ones that are left to deal with this shit or grandchildren, <laughs> mm -hmm. whatever, you know, and, and I suppose that side of things is, as I get older, is more of a reality to me now. And so I guess from that point of view, I gravitate towards that. Well, interesting, because I did see in another interview that you did where you were kind of asked a, a similar question that you kind of connected this uh, theme of environmental degradation in your lyrics um, to, um, you know, your place of residence so in, in mm. Tasmania. Um, yeah. yeah. So could you tell us about that? Well, I mean, we've got Tasmania's beautiful place, obviously. But I mean, down here. There's so much efforts taken in in Tasmania to to protect the wilderness and and stuff. Except there's a giant hole in the ozone layer above us, which kind of sucks. <laughs> but yeah. it's not nice. But I mean, just the, I mean, coming from such a naturally beautiful place as well, I suppose yeah. If you if you grow up and you're just in the in in a big city, you know, concrete everywhere, tall buildings, maybe the natural world doesn't have as much of a, an impact on you because it's you're so far removed from it. But 
I think, yeah, I mean, growing up in, in rural Tasmania, it's very much part of everyday life. I mean, you can see down here the, the seasonal changes, like what I was saying before, like it's been for the last three years, winter's been warmer. It's not like the, the brutal place that it used to be in winter anymore and that side of things. So I suppose, yeah, just the, the natural environment around me as well does inspire me to do my bit to protect or raise awareness or whatever in my own roundabout way. So this next question is a little bit, I, I, I'll just cop it. I, I wrote this question. I feel a bit bad about it because it's a lot of pressure. Um, but there's <laughs> been some, uh, there's been some academic research on, on metal environmentalism and metal. And there's even been research on environmentalism in metal in australian metal um yep. and psychoptic isn't mentioned in in this study i'll, I'll just you know so put that know, out like, there, yeah. yeah put that out there but um i kind of wanted to put the conclusion of of one of these articles to you and see kind of what you thought about it uh so just like how you vibe with kind of the way they're approaching it because they claim that um in, in wrapping up their review of a number of australian bands they say Quote, the predilection for misanthropic and apocalyptic visions of ecological disaster in the music of bands might even be counterproductive in that the work to socialize people into thinking that nothing can be done. Pessimism and hopelessness are part of the problem. Misanthropy and apocalypticism can even be reconfigured, not as responses to environmental issues, but as symptoms or even causes of them. Going on to argue, an aesthetic dominated by death, destruction, and decay is an aesthetic that struggles to incorporate even pragmatic, let alone optimistic, representations of possible ways of life. Uh, so given this kind of take, we're wondering, do you view this perspective as uh, this kind of conclusion as productive? Or do you, on the other hand, view your lyrics as being uh, hopeful or pushing for change? Or you know, do you vibe with it? Do you see your lyrics as pessimistic um, and potentially creating a risk that people that hear them think that nothing can be done and we're all kind of screwed well god i could see that people could when you put it like that that people could take either um either view on my lyrics it's it is more of a look what the fuck we're doing mm -hmm. type that's that's like my what i'm trying to i suppose get across you know look what we're doing we could do so much better um but yeah i could see like reading it from that, I could I could see that people could take it as a negative of me saying we're fucked, basically. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. You, personally, but, your your goal is is not to say it's hopeless, but it's kind of like are you are you saying that it's more like kind of a wake up call, <laughs> a, a a rally yeah. for, to do something? Yeah, yeah. But surely it's you're not just saying like oh well it's hopeless, don't worry about it. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> definitely a. If we keep going, we're going to be fucked. <laughs> I've, okay, because I mean, there is there is metal there. that just goes like life. Life is bad. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that out there, no doubt. But I, I think, um, I guess at its core, if you if you read through a lot of stuff, it's I think more people do come from a like a, a positive mindset, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But it. It's the it, maybe the wording used can be taken either way. I don't know, but I mean, I mean, most most people I know, it's I mean, black metal definitely 
has got that satanic element and stuff like that. But I mean, a lot of modern bands, I I think, take from the same sort of approach as as you know bands like what we do, where it's it's not looking at that it's not looking at things from a negative perspective or you know trying to put a negative spin on things is probably a better way to describe it is, is there space for uh like hope for the future of the planet in extreme metal i think it's got to be written the right way <laughs> but yeah but I, and i think um like, and I've said this before in interviews, like metal, like extreme metal, especially it's a lot of the lyrics are almost like traditional. If that makes sense, they've got to be extreme. You know, they can't be, I mean, they can be any way they want to be, but, but traditionally they've got, I don't know, there's something about them. If, I don't know. Can't even describe where I'm going with this now. No, 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 no. Yeah, go, but, keep going. Though. But, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like, in my opinion, on the way extreme metal lyrics need to be written, they can't be, you know, flowers in the field type thing. It's got to be, you know, from a, it's got to be a big, powerful sort of perspective, whether it be positive, negative, or whatever. But I don't know. You got. It's got to be out of be delivered mighty, if if that makes any sense. Do, do you ever feel pressure from this tradition? Like, have you ever wanted to write something and it's like, ah, oh, nah, it's not nah. metal? Nah? I think it's, I just naturally go. I mean, I've been listening to, to death metal and extreme metal since I was 10, 11 years old. So now I'm 41. So I think it's just ingrained in me. <laughs> <laughs> fully brainwashed, fully Stockholm syndrome. Did oh, it. Yeah. I, yeah. No okay. doubt. Okay. <laughs> I'm a lifer. Yeah. Well, like that being said, you don't have all of the traditional trappings uh, of extreme metal lyrics, um, you know, because we did want to talk about what isn't in your lyrics. And, you know, we have to talk about then, you know, uh, discussions of gore um, and and swearing as well. So, you know, first let's start off like, talking about gore because, you know, there isn't a lot of implied death and darkness in your lyrics, um, but there isn't any like graphic violence that's, you know, considered to be very kind of, um, prolific uh, in death metal yeah. lyricism. Uh, so, yeah. is there a reason why you avoided gore in your lyric writing at all? It's just like uh, like I was saying earlier, like the the gore and horror and stuff like that. It's just something that I have got zero interest in. Mm. So it's just it's something I suppose it just never because I don't have interest in. That's it, just something that never really crossed my mind to bring into it, and it would be something that wouldn't be. It wouldn't be real to me. Like it'd just be, yeah, I don't know. It would just feel fake for me to to write about that, like add that sort of stuff into my music because it's not something that interests me in the slightest. Well, another thing that's absent, as just mentioned, is is swearing. Um, on lyrics from Inherited Repression, there's two fucks and one shit, and lyrics from Self-Titled of two fucks. Uh, but after that, there's no swearing at all. Uh, you swore mm. in this interview. But why do you use swear words so sparingly on those uh, first two releases and then, and then abandon it? Like, why, why is swearing something that doesn't appear at all in your art? Don't I, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I don't feel it's something that always needs to be there. It's, it's an impact thing, I suppose, in lyrics. In uh, everyday use, me being a construction site worker from <laughs> 
humor <laughs> does come into everyday vocabulary, but I don't know. It just it's just I suppose it just it's never been something that never been a word that I feel fits very often. You know, maybe maybe as in as a real impact word, but yeah, just I don't know. And it's it's something I never actually really think to put it in anymore. And I don't know why. Because hmm. someone else did ask me about this and, and said you you haven't had any swearing in the last few albums and there's very sparingly in the in the first couple that I sang on and yeah, I just I don't know, it just never comes up to me or it just never comes to mind to actually use it in there. Not to go all like, you know, like psychoanalysis or anything, but is there any subconscious desire to differentiate like your identity on the stage versus your identity in the construction site? Like the, the two different use? The thing is when I'm on stage, I swear quite a bit between songs and stuff. <laughs> Just... In the banter, you mean? Yeah, yeah. The, my stage banners, fucking come on, and you know, and all that sort of stuff. And it's uh yeah, well, so, so I don't think that comes into it. So yeah, I'm not I'm not shy with it when I'm actually on mm-hmm. stage. It's just actually in the lyrics. It it just never seems to really come up. Well, that is kind of a trend that we've observed, like among like the Australian bands we've interviewed, is that like, you know, when we do ask them about their swearing, like typically they say, like, well, I swear a lot in everyday life. Um, but they also do say the same thing that, you know, although they don't mm-hmm. swear a lot in their lyrics, like they do tend to swear when they're on stage. So yeah. why do you think there's this disconnect? Because obviously it's not necessarily the case that like swearing's like unsuitable for metal in general, because it, yeah. it's often in, it appears in the like the actual performance side of things, right? So like yeah. so why yeah. is there this difference, do you think? Why are Australians putting walls on the like you, you yeah. I mean, y'all swear quite a bit um yeah. you know so like what's why is it that like lyrics yeah. are this sacred space for metal Australian <laughs> metal musicians where it's like i can swear at my job i can swear at the stage but i i can't swear in my lyrics like what's what's i, know, there's, I suppose there's got to be a, there's got to be a boundary for us somewhere with it <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's just where it is probably the place where it would be most appropriate okay <laughs> i don't know we're all backwards <laughs> Well, on the note of Australian, then, um, one feature that's also missing is there's no elements of, like, Australian English in your lyrics whatsoever. Uh, is this conscious? Like, is is there something that you would have, like, against putting Australianisms into Psychroptics lyrics? Yeah, and I think it's that whole, um, well, for one, I mean, we tour a lot abroad, and so I'm very conscious that, <laughs> when we're touring with Americans, Europeans and stuff, half the time when we're just talking our native tongue, they have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. So it is it is definitely that whole thing of, um, you know, you, you get with pop music and stuff, the whole thing is to neutralise the accent and, and that side of things. And I guess it's that whole thing of with with your lyrics, it's, it's like neutralising that wording so that, it makes sense to everybody because it with our music we sell probably just as much outside of australia as we do within australia mm-hmm. so i suppose it's just keep, keeping that whole thing so it it can be read and made sense of by everyone worldwide like you know american bands don't like neutralize their stuff right they'll they'll, <laughs> they'll come over to australia and be like yeah i took the elevator to the concert right and they're fine at that right like yeah but but i think um and it's that whole thing I think American English is probably the 
I suppose, the most widely understood. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's, I suppose, from the entertainment industry being, you know, so big in America that goes out worldwide. So I'd assume, I guess that's probably why. Mm. But, I mean, with with Australian, I mean, yeah. It, it can get pretty. It can get pretty wild for people. I mean, we've got an American bass player, and for his first few years in the band, he had no idea what we were talking about. Half, <laughs> you know, he's picked it up now after spending mm. eight years on the road with us. But uh, you know, and it's just trying to keep it. I suppose keep it, you know, relevant to everyone worldwide. I mean, yeah, I still get tripped up every once in a while. I've been here for like a decade now. Yeah. yeah, and it'd still be stuff that people would say, and you'd be like, "I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about." I'm sure. For sure, well, yeah, everyone's all. Yeah, I mean, then do you think that like being in Australia or being Australian like influences your lyrics like at all, or or not? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned environmental know. things, so besides yeah. Like, yeah. Besides, besides the environmental that, issue, yeah. yeah, probably not. No. Hmm. So like, there's no, there's no like Tasmanianness to to <laughs> Psychroptics uh, metal or or specifically their lyrics. Like, does does being a Tasmanian? So. No, you don't. Th- no. No, I mean other people might look at it and see it, but yeah, I don't think so. Personally. <laughs> so there's nothing that kind of like separates your kind of like lyrical approach, um, like aside from in the ways we've just discussed, like from yeah. that, like a, mm. you know, equivalent in America. I don't think. Yeah, I don't reckon so. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I am surprised. Like, I admit, I did not expect. I did not expect just a categorical no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. It's interesting. Like, do you think? I guess to open it up a little bit. Does metal in general kind of not have a geographical feel to it, in a way? Like, I mean, for instance, like if we compare it to hip hop or something, right? There's, there's definite, like. You can tell where someone's from. Yeah, yeah. Um, Very localized, yeah. And let's, Mm. like, take folk metal and just, like, completely ignore its existence for a bit because that obviously, you know, often incorporates just instruments that are are kind of local. But, like, Death Thrash Black, for instance, do they have much of an international character or do you think there is kind of, like, just a a blending um, of... I, I I I think back in the early days it did. There was very much, you know, you've got your your Swedish death metal sound, which was oh, sure. very, very distinct, mm-hmm. you know, back in the, the late 80s, early 90s. Your Swedish black metal had a certain sound. Norwegian black metal had a certain thing to it. American death metal had a certain thing. But I think, you know, I mean, from those, you know, formative years of different, different elements of the extreme metal where, I mean, you, you had certain groups of people that were using certain equipment and so they'd get a certain sound and, you know, those local scenes would gravitate to, to making similar music to each other, obviously. But I think now as extreme metal's been a genre for such a long time now and it's so, you know, it's so readily available everywhere. I just think the the sound of everything has really just sort of melded into each other. So you get a band that they might have that real like Swedish death metal sound, but then you look and you're like, oh, well, they're from 
I don't know, Chicago or somewhere like that. <laughs> that probably wouldn't have happened back in 1992, but these days, you know, and that's just how it is. So I don't think there's, I mean, I think with Australian bands, I think it's not happening so much now as what it was a few years back, but you could always tell with Australian bands, they there was always just something that was slightly different about them to, to European or American bands. But like you could never sort of put the finger on it, but that everything was just done slightly different. But I think even now that's sort of gone like, you know, a lot of there's a lot of, you know, highly successful Australian bands that are really, you know, hitting the world stages and, and stuff like that. So I don't even, yeah, I don't even think that's a thing anymore. To build off that, what was the Australian feel back in the day? I don't know. And that's, I spoke to this, I spoke to a guy on a podcast last year about this, actually. It was a, he was a guy that lives in England and he was, he's right into the Australian scene and he, he said, I, I can never put my finger on it, but he said with Australian bands, he said they're always great, but they're always slightly different to what you'd expect for the style that they're playing. And and I definitely agree with that, but actually putting the finger on what that is, mm. or what that was, I could never could do it. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, we'll have I to look into yeah, that. Just, <laughs> just leave it as a mystery, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it was more so, I mean, you look at bands like... Uh, you know, from the late 90s, bands like Abramlin, uh, Misery, uh, Blood Dust. So, you know, there was just, I don't know, if you, if you check it out, and it might be, some a lot of it might be to do with the way music was, uh, metal was produced down here because there wasn't sort of, back in those formative days, there wasn't so many studios that were sort of dedicated to extreme metal. Mm-hmm is what you might have got like in places like Florida and, and Oslo and stuff like that. So like the, the, the lack of places to go kind of consolidated. I think so. And I, well, I think more than anything, a lot of it down in Australia back in those sort of those early days, like, I mean, the first two Psychroptic albums were just recorded in a studio in Hobart that um, they predominantly recorded jingles for TV. <laughs> Guy that worked, didn't know anything about extreme music. You know, he'd done a little bit of rock and roll, but I mean, he did a great job of what he was doing. But you know, it was it was more you people were dealing with like studio engineers that were probably more used to recording rock and roll and and stuff like that, as opposed to you know flat out double kicks and two hundred and fifty BPM and drumming and pressing <laughs> someone screaming like an idiot into the microphone so it was probably the sound of of extreme metal recorded in the way of rock and roll maybe <laughs> interesting mm. hmm. but there was always something about it about that about that early stuff that you could it, it it's very much had the australian sound but yeah i think i think that's very much on the on the outer now though hmm. Well, like given that then, like what would you say if we can kind of like tie this together is like the principal role of lyrics in Psychoptics music and in the extreme metal genre more broadly? I think in the extreme metal genre, it's, you find a lot of bands, I think the lyrics don't actually mean shit to them, to be <laughs> honest. It's just, and 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 that's the, the thing with it is you've got a lot of, you see it probably more in the death metal realm like especially with all this like 
guttural slam where it's like you listen to the song, even if you had the lyric sheet there, you think, fuck, there's no way that he's saying any of that stuff on the lyric sheet. <laughs> you know, and you, it, it's can't, it's just something to have written there so you can have a song title and you can have some pictures on your merch or whatever. So in, in Psychroptic, I think it is more important to us because I try to make everything very audible. So or when I sing, you know, when I, I'm in the studio, Joe, our guitarist, he, he is also a studio engineer, so he records me. And I always check with him once I've done a take, can you understand what I say? And he'll repeat the line back to me most of the time. And, you know, and that's when we know it's, it's good enough. And, and I think a lot of that's, yeah, I mean, more so with the choruses and stuff. You know, you're trying to, you, like we were the keepers, you, you're trying to have like an, an impactful chorus that'll, you know, it's powerful and it's, it's big and it needs to be heard. And so I think it's with us more so in, in our later part of our career where we've had choruses and stuff, it's, it's very much more important role for us now than what it was probably back on the first probably four albums. So, I mean, given that increase in import, like what would you say is, is sort of the purpose nowadays? Like, you know, your, your last album, where do lyrics sit as part of the ultimate art form for you? Pretty high, but I do think within Psychroptic, every element, every person on the album, I think is just as important as, as the other because we are very like musicality has always been a massive part of what we are as a band. Mm-hmm. So the riffs, I mean, Joe writes incredible riffs, Dave's an absolutely incredible drummer. So I think I don't see the lyrics or the vocals as being any more important. You know, I think the whole thing is just as important as each other and it just it locks it just binds the whole thing together i think and it just yeah just having having those big lyrics in the in the big choruses just made the whole the whole thing have more impact especially on the live front as well you know you get those big choruses where people can sing along and and you do get it at some shows where it'll be the whole crowd will be will be singing along in a chorus you know arms in the air and the just that energy that it can create is just incredible. So do you have like, besides just seeing it live, do you have fans that that come up to you and and talk to you about the stuff you've done? I do sometimes. It's not, it's not as common as what it used to be, but. Oh, Oh, sorry. You noticed the change over time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But. I think, I don't know, I mean, it's when, like, in the the younger part of our career, I think it was more that we were, when we were at show, like, when we were out playing shows and stuff, we were actually, we were putting ourselves out into the crowd more, like, after shows, before shows, during shows and stuff like that. We, We would, as we were younger, we'd be out hanging out with fans and, drinking some beers and, and all that stuff. So there was a lot more conversation there. But now as we get older, we don't hang out, we don't drink. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it probably is just more a uh, 
I don't, people don't have the opportunity as much, I suppose. Mm-hmm. More than anything else. Mm. Age is getting the better of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, was there anything that we didn't ask in this interview that you wanted us to ask about? Mm. Do we miss a theme? Did yeah, we, do we uh, miss anything? Yeah. No, you've been very thorough in your research. <laughs> <laughs> you may, when I when I listened to the to the episode with uh, Sam the other week, I thought, wow, this this would be interesting to see. You know the interpretations and stuff you you guys have of my lyrics, which you pretty much bang on with with all the the way that you've you've read and interpreted what I do, which is it's awesome. <laughs> Good, right, right, yeah. yeah. That's good. We're at least on target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be it'd be bad if uh, everything we brought up was just like completely. Yeah, yeah, No, wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Sick. Well, thank you so much then for taking the time to talk to us. It's been it's been really interesting to hear about. Like you know, you guys have been around for for quite some time, so we'll, kind of hearing about these changes and and even you know we don't meet a lot of bands that have gone through three lyricists either so yeah uh, that kind of process is, is really really fascinating yeah and it's i mean it's been it's been interesting as well i mean like like what we were saying before it's like you know really changing the style of the music and and, and the direction of lyrics and stuff it's it's been a really awesome journey as well and i i think as you know looking back at where the band started to where we are now it's it's so you know it's it's such a massive difference so it's mm. been it's been quite the journey over the last well i've been with the band 19 years this year now and they've been going since 99 so it's what what's that 24 nearly 25 years <laughs> Jeez, make it that's making me feel old now i've done it for yeah, nearly half my life now. <laughs> yeah, that is a shockingly long time. But it's great to, to like talk to you, particularly because you know we have talked to a lot of Australian bands, and it's great to like hear from someone who's been uh, you know participating in the scene, active in the scene for such a long time. Yeah, that's no, been awesome. It's been quite the ride. It's uh, it's nice to sort of be getting back into it again now after such a long long hiatus. Mm. Well, we were going to ask you, like, is there um, anything um, that you'd like to promote? Anything you'd like to draw our listeners, like, attention to as we kind of finish up? Yeah, so we've got, um, so the band's going on the US tour in, when's that, August, which I won't be on. Uh, but when we back back in Australia, it's 14th of September in Melbourne, 15th, I think, of September in I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't even know that that might not be announced yet, whatever that one was. But anyway, but yeah, definitely 14th of September will be in, in Melbourne at, I can't remember the venue either. Yeah, and the and, and Psychroptic will be out in the States in August, but without me, it'll be uh, Jason from Origin who also sung with me on our last album doing vocals on. Oh, awesome. sick. Yeah, so unfortunately I won't be able to make it, but be next year for me so where's the best place for everyone to kind of keep up with um any of your shows that you're playing locally or internationally or any of your releases uh every everything's usually uh, we're 
we're trying to be more active now on our Facebook page. Uh, mm -hmm. Instagram's usually a bit slow, but Facebook, usually things get pretty updated. Merch, everything can be bought through direct merch in Australia. There's heaps mm. of stuff there, so yep. check shit out. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have those links in the description. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you very much. I know it's uh, well, it's it's getting late here, and I, yeah. uh, you, you got kids yeah. put to bed. I got yeah. kids put to bed. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see you down here uh, live. And no cheers. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for having yeah. me. Have a good night. Thanks. For thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. <laughs>